Welcome to Saving the Game. This is episode 77, Surrender. Recorded Thursday, January 14th of 2016, with your hosts, Grant and Peter. Welcome to Saving the Game. I'm Grant. And I'm Peter. Peter, how you doing? Uh, better than you, I think. Yep, still sick. Or sick again. It's it's a never-ending cycle of disease. You know, I'm not even going to joke about it this time. I just really hope you feel better. It'd be nice. I have a lot to do, and being sick is, makes that difficult. Anyway. Yeah. Don't have a whole lot of pre-show stuff to talk about. I do want to mention real quick that I picked up the Microscope RPG using some of my Christmas money. Oh, that thing is cool. It's really neat. Uh, I know I'm years behind everyone on knowing how cool Microscope is, um, but I do want to try and set the uh, game of that up at some point. It's pretty neat. For those who don't know, by the way, Microscope is basically a, um, they call it a fractal RPG. It's basically a world-building exercise, uh, but you're kind of building a timeline and continuity where you can't say no to anything necessarily. You just say, okay, Somebody has established this, I'm going to establish something else, and because you can jump back and forth through time and just kind of put stuff in whenever, it can be, oh, I made a thing, and then he said, hey, it blew up, but I can still tell as many stories as I want in that thing, because I can set them all before it blew up. It's a neat little world-building game that kind of goes from epic scope all the way down to individual characters and individual scenes if you want it to, and that's really where the role-playing comes in, uh, is you play those out and kind of answer questions about particular scenes by just doing improv, basically. A neat little game. So, cool story about Microscope real quick. A previous gaming group of mine actually used that to make the setting that our game was then set in. We were doing a uh, post-apocalyptic alien invasion game, so we all sat down and um, worked up what the world looked like before it got invaded and um, actually some... Uh, extra Earth colonies like on Mars and the moon and that sort of thing. Neat. And then kind of went through the timeline of the invasion and then up to the post-apocalyptic thing that the game started in. And then we ran it, use, or actually I ran it, um, using a hack of Spirit of the Century because that was the only version of Fate that was available at the time. It actually worked out okay. Uh, that group broke up pretty quickly thereafter due to life stuff as kind of tends to happen with adults but yeah i really want to do that again it's it's um it's a neat way to get your player group involved in the setting creation process and i don't really know of any other way other than microscope perhaps maybe that new one downfall that i kickstarted and haven't gotten a chance to read my rewards from could do the same thing but uh certainly the, the tools out there for that particular type of game are rare <laughs> yeah to say the least but I, I really want to do it again. It was really neat. It, it lent a lot of additional texture to the world that wouldn't have been there otherwise. So awesome. I guess that's a really long way of me saying that was a good purchase that you made. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I really like it. It's a skinny little book, by the way. So if you haven't picked it up, go ahead and do so. It's, uh, it's neat. It's not very good for big groups. They say the max is four players, and I think I tend to agree. And it is GM-less, so that's not four players plus somebody. That's four people that are at the table. Yeah, I think we I think when we did it it was with 5 and it was starting to get a little bit unwieldy at that point. So, yeah, it needs a certain intimacy, I think. Yeah, and I I think 
it's easier to get four people on the same page, which you really kind of have to do for that to work than it is for a larger group. Right. I, I'm glad you've played it because I want to try it at some point and having yeah. somebody else who remembers a little bit about it would be cool. Now, one quick disclaimer, I played an early pre-release version of it. Uh, oh, okay. One of the guys in my group had knew the creator somehow. I don't know if it was just through like forums or whatever, or if he was actually, you know, friends with him from work or something like that. But, right. Um, so probably changed a bit since my group hacked around with it, but eh, I still fine. really liked it. Yeah. So. Cool. Well, we're actually not here to talk about Microscope as much as I could talk about it for a while, because, you know, it's the new shiny that I got over Christmas. We have a topic to get to. But before we do that, I want to remind everybody to, if you like the show, review us on iTunes, Stitcher, anywhere else that you listen to your podcast. Uh, share us around if you haven't already, because, you know, somebody saying, hey, this is saving the game and it's really good, or, you know, hey, here's a podcast, it's all right, you might like it. <laughs> Anything like that helps us out a lot. Yeah. So if you're listening to this in front of your computer, take a minute and just say, hey, people, here's a podcast I listen to. And if it happens to be saving the game, all the better, right? Yeah, I know Grant and I have shared podcasts back and forth with each other and increased each other's listening lists, so... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and it turns out that it, even just one share helps a lot, so, yeah, you know... Yeah, word of mouth is really the primary way that most podcasts spread, I think, so if you can give us some of that, we will be very grateful. Definitely. All right, let's get into our main topic here, but first let's start with our scripture. You want Jeremiah or Philippians? I'll take Jeremiah. Okay. This is Jeremiah 38, 17 to 18. Then Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, This is what the Lord God Almighty, the God of Israel, says. If you surrender to the officers of the king of Babylon, your life will be spared, and this city will not be burned down. You and your family will live. But if you will not surrender to the officers of the king of Babylon, this city will be given into the hands of the Babylonians, and they will burn it down. You yourself will not escape from them. Okay, and this is Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. We're talking tonight about surrender, and this is a topic I've wanted to talk about for a while. Uh, there was a Fear of the Boot episode a long while back now, back in, I want to say 2012, Fear of the Boot number 268, that talked about this. And I want to say there was another episode a little more recently. Yeah, we've had this in our topic list for quite a while. We really have. Really, I think since the start of the show. This might have been in the original list of topics that I came up with when we started saving the game back in 2012. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. This is a real problem in games, surrendering, because nobody wants to do it, and it causes all sorts of problems when nobody wants to surrender. Well, not only nobody wants to, people just flatly refuse to. Yeah. Now, now, when I talk about surrender here, I mean, hey, we've got a combat encounter happening in-game, combat is about to start or has happened, and one party decides it's not worth it and stops fighting and gives up. Maybe they seed the field and retreat. Maybe they give themselves up to the enemy. Whatever it is, they say, we're not going to just fight until nobody is left. And I have to point that out because I think there are a lot of gamers who have never encountered a situation where that happens. Ever. 
Yeah, it seems like the typical combat encounter in a role-playing game often goes about the same as the typical combat encounter in Diablo, which is to say it's only over when one side is annihilated. Yes, and there are a lot of reasons for that, and we're going to get into those. I will say up front, I think two of them are out-of-game reasons, okay? Okay. The first is that the GM had an entire counter encounter prepped, and this was going to be the thing that happened tonight, this big set-piece battle, right? Because let's be honest, in Dungeons and & Dragons and Pathfinder and other games like that with crunchy combat rules and maps and that sort of thing, combat takes a while. It can and prepping for it can take even longer. It can, but a combat encounter can chew up most of a night of gaming. And <laughs> it can chew up multiple nights of gaming. In terrible situations, yes. And my point is, if you have planned for an hour of roleplay and two hours of combat, or, you know, something like that, you know, some, some huge set-piece battle, maybe it's a 4th edition D&D game, something like that, where combat really can take that long. Although I had plenty of 3-5 combats that took forever as well. Let's not even get into GURPS. Yeah. If somebody then says, oh, well, we're not going to fight, well, now all of that planning you've done has gone out the window. Now, a good GM will certainly be able to recover from that, but a lot of people get frustrated very quickly at that point because, no, 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 I had this whole thing planned out. This is what we're doing tonight. Yeah, if, if you guys don't have this fight, I don't have a game for you kind, right. is kind of it's the, the this mindset. or we pack it in early this week and I try and pick it up next week. And I think a lot of GMs railroad the players into fighting not by saying, well, you have, uh, you can't go that way, but rather, you can't do that. They're not going to accept your surrender. You can't retreat. Your escape pod blew up. Whatever it is. You're trapped and your foe is implacable. It's yeah. fight or die. Oh, yeah. Uh, they don't take surrender, and they won't listen to you suggesting that they surrender. Uh, they're coming at you. Aren't they just like normal people? Yeah, but uh, no, they're not. they're not doing it. No. Yeah, every, everybody's a fanatic. Yeah. And that's going to come back in some other things that I want to talk about. But I th really think that's a big problem. Okay, so you've got a second one on here where it's um, GM and player inability to back down. This is kind of where players and or GMs get into that kind of unhealthy, um, antagonistic relationship with each other, I'm guessing. I don't even think it has to be antagonistic. I think a lot of times it's just, I don't want to give up to this guy. I don't want to surrender. I, I want to win. You know, you're not playing against the GM, but you don't want to lose to kobolds. You don't want to lose to the bad guys, quote unquote. I play to win. It's the same guy who, you know, looks at uh, a League of Legends game or a Hearthstone game or whatever online game you're playing and, you know, oh, wow, yeah, we're losing 40 to nothing, but I'm not going to surrender. Surrender means you're weak. Come on, just play it out. Yeah. Well, at that point, you're just wasting everyone's time. But there are people who just refuse to do the smart thing. Yeah, you'll you'll get this with people who just refuse to concede when they're beaten in board games and that oh, sort yeah. of thing because they think it's, you know, it's somehow weakness or something where actually a lot of the time all you're really doing is eating up time. I mean, if this was some kind right. of a life or death struggle, an actual war or something, that would be an understandable mentality. But dude, it's cardboard and meeples. Exactly. Pack it in, you know, shuffle up, play a new game. Right. And in any game where it's story-driven and you have an agreement that your story is not going to end until it's time for the story to end, 
Surrender is just a different story that's about to happen. But I think a lot of times, both GMs and players refuse to give in just because they're so into that moment and that character, and they haven't separated the two, you know, they haven't separated themselves from their character, that they just don't want to do it. So I think those are out-of-game reasons that nobody ever gives up in a role-playing game. The first, the encounter problem, really is just fixed by learning to be flexible in your gaming and being willing to step away from all the prep, accept it as a sunk cost, and do more theater of the mind gaming. Hey, they surrendered to get into the enemy base. Okay, cool. Have them use the same battle map you drew on the way out. You know, those aren't wasted resources necessarily. If you spent a bunch of time making something cool... Generally speaking, all you're going to have to do is file a few serial numbers off of it, and you can probably reuse that again. It's just not going to play out exactly the way that you were expecting it to originally. But that's one of the reasons why you're playing a game instead of just sitting there writing a novel, too. Right. And this is the magic of, okay, cool, you surrender, tell me what happens. Or, yeah. hey guys, that's cool, uh, let's take five minutes so I can think up what's going to happen here, and we can all get drinks. Or I can go use the bathroom and scribble furiously in my notepad, and, you know, things like that. Yeah. All those tips and tricks for when games go off the rails that every other podcast that we suggest you listen to has listed out for you, that's when you use them. It's good advice, and it's good advice for exactly that moment. Okay, so let's let's get into some more specifics here, because it, it seems like there's really three subsets of this where... You've got um, NPCs surrendering, an entire side in a conflict surrendering, and then player characters surrendering, right? Yeah, and there, I would there's say a, so. There's an individual batch of problems that goes with each one of those. Yeah, and I think some of these come from the same out-of-game things, but some of them also are... I really think most of them are in-game errors, but in a lot of cases there are considerations that you just need to take into effect when you are surrendering. The, the other thing that I'm going to say that's probably a little bit controversial, um, but I have seen in myself here. So this is something, you know, this may be one of the things where I struggle a little bit is I think part of the problem with some of this surrender stuff comes from too many video games and not enough books, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. Authors have a lot more narrative tools available to them than game designers, so they can have these things where somebody surrenders or is captured or something like that play out in a a wider variety of ways than a game designer is able to. This is not the whole video games rot your mind thing. It's just you got different tools. Right. The fact that you ha can save, reload, and try again, or, you know, exactly. try again from checkpoint prevents that kind of storytelling. Yeah. I, oftentimes a video game is basically the story of somebody flawlessly progressing through challenges and then manipulating time whenever something goes wrong so that yeah. it doesn't. Literally in Prince of Persia, for example. Yes. Yeah. Perfect example. Okay. So let's let's get in with the um, the surrendering NPCs first because this is yeah. this is one that often pops up. It's, so yeah, it's the prisoner who has infinite resolve, no motivation other than whatever they were captured for, and no goal other than obstructing the player characters. Yeah. This is a bad NPC design. I'm just gonna come out and say it. The real world has very few people like this. Yeah. And generally speaking, even even individual like sides or ideological groups that have a few people like this are not exclusively populated by them. In fact, almost never. Those are almost always the extreme outliers. Yeah. They may be stubborn. They may be unwilling to break. They may be resolved not to give information and that sort of thing. 
but they're not. They may going be passive to... aggressive or something too. Sure. You know? I mean, there are plenty of good stories of that of you know prisoners of war in concentration camps and that sort of thing. The Great Escape, for instance. Exactly. But at the same time, they're not going to refuse to bend at every single step. They're going to fall out, you know, into formation when called out of the prisoner of war bunkhouse, that sort of thing. But we see this all the time where, okay, we've captured some dudes or we've made them surrender. And the GM basically says, no, you didn't. Oh, sure, you're not actively fighting them, but you're not going to get anything out of them that way. You're, And th this leads to the torture problem. Well, what are our options for getting information out of this guy? Can we bribe him? No. Can we appeal to his sense of honor or duty or respect for life, anything like that? No. Okay. Do we have any option other than horribly graphic torture scenes? No. Do that. And even that won't work. And it's just like, well, then what's the point of this? Yeah. At that point, it's it's really not even a story thing. It's just the GM being obstructionist. Exactly. There's not a, to a ton you can do about this as a player other than appeal to the GM and say, come on, this is being silly. Yeah, the, the story has stopped. So right. tell you what, we're going to find a way of restraining this guy in a humane but very secure manner. We will make sure that he's fed. And you can tell us when you're ready to put some story back into the game. Yeah, exactly. Otherwise, we're going to go get pizza. This is you actually know? one of the reasons... In a D&D campaign I played, I played a guy who specialized in mind control and enchantment because I had a GM who did this all the time. And, okay, did he make his will save? No, he didn't? Good. We can actually get some information out of him. Yeah, that, the story can move that forward. in order to let the story move forward. Were you Not playing one of those Beguiler class guys from uh, that Splat book? Because that was a cool class. Turns out the Beguiler didn't have anywhere near sufficiently high save DCs on his spells. Oh, that's a shame. No, I, I was playing a highly optimized half-fae, strongheart, halfling, master enchanter, wild soul. Oh, boy. Hi, I'm a munchkin. How are you? <laughs> well, I knew this about you already, so... Yeah, and this was back in the heyday of me scouring the character optimization forums, and but, but if I do this extremely obscure, convoluted process, I can get an extra plus one to save DCs when it's wet out. You know, things like that. This was the days of pun pun. These were dark days. Oh, yes, and all the things designed to beat pun pun and all the, all the other horrible things that came out of that. It was a good time if you liked math, and I did, and still do. So, well, there you go. Yeah, but I had to make a character like that because that was the only way for this game to move forward in certain ways. So, you know. Ugh. Yeah. Anyway, so don't be that GM. Um, yeah. If you're looking for ways of not being that GM, we've got some suggestions for you. So the first one, kind of the obvious one, is prisoners that for some reason or another are actually cooperative. Now. One of the one of the kind of tried and true um, fictional tropes that works is that mercenaries often have fairly dubious loyalty, especially the ones that will work for people who are pretty clearly bad guys are probably just going to be loyal to their paycheck. And if they get captured, they're really not going to you know, they're going to be like, well, I'm not going to get paid anymore. So I might as well tell you guys something. Maybe you'll, you know, treat me better or even let me go. I actually leaned on this a whole lot in um, a campaign that I was running. There was a particular war deity whose followers would hire themselves out as mercenaries. And these guys would usually, if they felt like they could win, they were a tough fight. But 
Um, once you got the upper hand on them, they tended to surrender and they tended to be pretty cooperative. And it actually did a nice job of keeping the story moving forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you don't want to go that way, even folks who aren't mercenary at all might be grateful to have been spared, especially if they're treated well. I mean, if you know, if you throw down your weapons and you know your captors are like, "All right, well, come this way," you know, you look like you're a little hungry or cold, so. Let's get you by the fire and get you some soup, and then we can talk about, you know, where we go from here. That's going to get you a whole lot more cooperation than, all right, well, knock him unconscious and, you know. Right. So It's worth pointing out that this might be a good place, as player or GM, to introduce kind of a uh, written or unwritten code of war. Yeah. And war here, in this case, may not apply to your standard fantasy D20 SWAT team of magical specialists, which makes up your adventuring party. But there may be, okay, if these are sentient humanoid creatures who give up, we can't just kill them. We've all agreed. We'll take them prisoner. Talk to them. Yeah, if there's something akin to, like, the Geneva Convention out there, even if it's much more primitive... Yeah, that can that can. First of all, you should have something like that in your world, because that's the sort of thing that actually exists in the in the world and it has existed for a long time in the world. And it makes your world seem more plausible. Yeah. Written Second or of all, yeah, it, it has some obvious story utility here because you can lean on those things to be yeah, players will be like, well, OK, so we've captured this guy. What do we do? And you can say, well, actually, which one of you has, you know, knowledge military or something like that? And let them roll and give them more and more detailed information about what exactly the traditions and procedures for this are. And, and it makes you know, the guy who violates those traditions and procedures that much worse. Yep. So, you know, it's it's kind of a two-edged sword, and both, both edges are interesting. Along those lines, certain, like, super honorable foes that have, like, a really rigid code like samurai might actually try and do themselves in if you capture them. So you can give players, like... If they are sufficiently um, empathetic and noble characters, you can give them people that might try to harm themselves if they're captured because they're so distraught. Yeah. And how do you deal with that? It may also be that they fully expect to be captured because they are worth more as prisoners that can be ransomed back to their families than just killed outright. Yeah, nobility in particular is good for this. Um, You know, anything from a knight on up. You know, I mean, if you manage to capture a duke or something, you're going to get a heck of a ransom out exactly. of that. And that's actually why uh, many soldiers in medieval armies would try and, you know, pull knights off their horses and that sort of thing, rather than just kill them, even though killing them was easier and, you know, safer. But everybody who captured them shared in the ransom money to a certain yep. degree. And so that, you know, it was a windfall for them. Um, it's also worth pointing out that many people in armies, and I, I'm talking about army here specifically because that's the most common form of combat we know about. In fantasy games, this may or may not end up the same way. Fantasy, sci-fi, you know, whatever. But most soldiers, especially in medieval fantasy kind of settings, are conscripts. Yep. In large-scale wars, many of them are draftees and conscripts. The idea of a army made entirely of professionals is fairly uncommon throughout history. Yeah, it's a it's a pretty recent thing. Well, not... at least it being as widespread as it is now is a pretty recent thing. Sure, I mean like Roman legions and that sort of thing. Yeah, but one of the reasons why the Romans did so well is because they had one of the few professional armies that was out there. 
a lot of the people they were fighting were just ragtag militias, basically. Right. And, and my, that's my point is the concept is not new necessarily. Right. But it being near universal is. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, those conscripts are usually very willing to lay down their arms at the first sign of any trouble. It's because, you know, they didn't really want to be there and often they haven't really been trained to take lives. And they're not really looking forward to that process. I want to say somebody did a study a while back and found that something like a third to a half of Civil War and World War I rifles were never fired. Yeah, and they found, uh, I, I remember this, they found some Civil War ones where they'd been loaded like six or seven times and never fired. Right. So there's just all of this like, you know, wadding and musket balls and powder just packed in there. Right, because they wanted, you know, the guy wanted to look like he was fighting, but he couldn't bring himself to shoot. Now, you know, in an adventuring kind of setting, you may not have that sort of thing, but it's a good way out to be like, oh, man, I'm really glad we don't have to fight. I was not looking forward to that, and I, frankly, I'm a little scared. Yeah. Um, confused or controlled prisoners? This is your standard, turns out they were mind-controlled. Or they just, uh, they weren't mind-controlled, but perhaps ideologically controlled. I mean, there could be a case where, you know, they bought some demagogue's rhetoric and... You know, once they've been captured and, like, done the montage of being transported through the enemy camp, they realize, oh, wait. <laughs> right. So these people aren't monsters. Look, there's the medical tent. There's, you know, people laughing as they eat together. Oh, oh goodness. I've been fighting for the wrong side. Yep. Um, there's actually a really great scene with that whole process of that in Tom Clancy's The Hunt for Red October. The book, not the movie. Oh, yeah? I feel bad spoiling this because it's a pretty good book, but it's like 30 years old at this point. So yeah, I'm pretty it's one sure of the few can... Tom Clancy books that I haven't read, so go ahead and spoil it for me. Right. So it's the story of a sub Russian submarine crew that defects to the U.S., except it's only the officers who are defecting. The crew doesn't know about it. And so there's this rigmarole by which the crew who is defecting and the main body of the crew, which is not defecting, kind of separate themselves and... The non-defector crew gets picked up by the Americans and rescued. But of course, hey, we've got all of these Russian sailors. You know, we, we can't just keep them. They've given up. They're out, stuck out here in the ocean. They're being rescued. Okay, fine. But they do this whole thing where, okay, we take them back and we make sure to drive them through town and show them, hey, look, you know, we're just going to drive them through a normal neighborhood. It's, it's totally fine. Notice how everybody's got multiple cars? Yeah. That's totally normal here in America. Wink, wink. Nudge, nudge. Yeah, that that supermarket where you can buy all kinds of non-rotted food? Yeah, that's yeah. totally normal. You know, oranges all year round, whatever. You know, any amount of produce. Look at that. Pretty neat, huh? Anybody want to stay? You know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a PR kind of thing. And that totally works. And it's, you know, it's an ideological difference. I would not even say that they were necessarily controlled. I mean, Tom Clancy's writing with a certain political perspective, obviously. I'm sure, you know, a Russian counterpart of his would write something very similar, just, you know, with the yeah. role switched. But that idea of your propaganda versus our propaganda. Or even just your propaganda versus our actual living situation. Right. You know, and of course, in the case of Tom Clancy, they're doing their best to put the best face on things because they're trying to get a PR and intelligence coup out of it. But, you know, it's it's a cool scene. It's the same kind of idea of, look, things aren't what you thought they were. I think we also all know the trope of the guy who is being blackmailed to do something he doesn't want to do. Yeah. That makes for a great prisoner because it's like, okay, look, 
you've caught me. I didn't really want to fight you guys in the first place, but I had to because of... They've got my family. Or, right. you know, they know this or that about my past and they're going to reveal it if I don't help them. Or And usually it's a sympathetic thing. You know, he's holding my wife, daughter son, cows, whatever, hostage. Yeah, even, you know, like research laboratory, uh, you know, it can be any number of things. Right. Person, place, or thing important to me. Right, and of course the PCs immediately go, oh, well, we'll help, because that's what they do. Well, and that's another way of being like, hey guys, look, the story is over here, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, prisoners don't necessarily have to cooperate to move the plot forward. And I think this is something that a lot of GMs don't think about. It may be that it's like, oh, I'm not going to tell you anything. Basically set it up so the, the players aren't going to just, like, immediately jump to the torture option. But make it so that it's like, I'm not going to tell you anything until we get so-and-so, or until this happens, or, you know, whatever. And then you discover okay. some secret attempt at communication, or, you know, something else going on, which then reveals the information. One of the other things, too, to avoid that torture problem is to make the NPCs fully fleshed characters with motivations and personality. Mm -hmm. uh, we alluded to this a little bit already, but if you capture an enemy soldier and he's got, like, pictures of his family or other kinds of, like, mementos of home and that sort of thing, even if they don't say anything, that kind of humanizes them a little bit. And once again, it gives your setting more texture it also gives the PCs a reason to be more humane. Yeah. Uh, maybe if it's a fantasy setting, the orc has a holy symbol of the paladin's deity in his pouch. Or even just a, a neutral one instead of an evil one. They're like, right. the god of rains? Why would he? Something's weird here, you know? He's not a horrible monster. And that's the point. Yeah. It's not a horrible, stereotypical monster who you have to do horrible things to to move the plot forward with. Yeah. In the example that I gave, maybe all he wants is to be you know, left outside when it's raining so he can commune with his god or something. Yeah. And then, of course, this does raise the issue of what to do with prisoners long term. Yes. <laughs> I will say right now, I have been in exactly one gaming session where the very idea of sending someone to jail came up. Exactly one. It was kind of a revelation for everyone, and then we never did it again. Well, hang on a second. You, you GM'd a few sessions with our Shadowrun group where we... We, we very directly turned some people That's over true. to the authorities. That's true. I forgot about that. Sorry, I'm still thinking of my 3-5 We crashed game. an entire truck full of them into what amounted to a police station. That's fact. true. Actually, you did. You got them all drunk and then loaded them onto a truck and literally drove them into the jail on a truck. Yep. And I don't mean, like, into the parking lot. I mean into the walls. No, it was into, it was into the parking lot. I mean, we took out a few police vehicles on the way, but... I, no, I distinctly <laughs> remember you running the vehicle remotely into, like, the wall of the police station. Oh, yeah, that's right. I think it was actually... I think you actually like through said the front it had doors. some of those pylons or something, but yeah, I'm sure some parts made it inside. And that was good, because you dealt with an entire gang, basically by letting them party themselves into unconsciousness, loading them onto a truck, and getting them out of your way. That was a good batch of sessions. And that was actually really good, because... We we were at, we were struggling with this. We don't really want to resort to violence, but it seems the only way. And then someone, I think my wife, basically was like, yeah, "Wait, I, hang I on. think this was your wife's idea." I know how we solve this problem. We solve this in the way our party does things through humor and wackiness, hilarious shenanigans. Because you were making plans on like, you know, raiding the whole thing and killing everybody and doing this yeah, whole we were, thing. We were going to go in hard and loud, and then she was like, "Wait a second, that's not us." And we were like. You are absolutely right. That is not us. Yeah. We are much more clever and much more mischievous than that. 
Right. So the idea of just dropping people off with the local authorities needs to really needs to be an option or calling the police, as silly as it sounds. And, and a lot of it is GMs don't want to deal with the derailment. Players don't want to run the risk of their character getting locked in jail because, of course, player characters are generally extra legal themselves. Well, and I mean, in those cases, you also have to consider the option that the PC or the sorry, that the NPC may not be bad enough where you need to do anything with them except for let them go. I mean, the peasant conscript that we referenced earlier, he's not going to go off and do all kinds of diabolical deeds. He's probably just going to go home. Yeah. I mean, you can honestly handle most of those kind of things with like, okay, here's a couple silver pennies. Yeah. That's plenty enough to feed you on your way back home. The road south is right over there. That's the direction of your home. Just start walking and follow the signs. Yep. You know, give us your sword. Here's a staff. You know, that kind of thing. Or yeah. give us your spear points so you've got staffs and, you know, head home. Yep. The other option is, especially if you do the whole PR thing, like Grant was talking about from the Hunt for Red October, you might have some of these prisoners that legitimately want to switch sides they might actually become friendly npcs at some point right now whether or not they can do that is kind of up to the game and the setting yeah and whether or not that's going to be genuine is up to the the individual gaming group but that's definitely something that you can do it needs to be genuine at least once or every offer is going to be denied and we're back to the same thing yeah because... i would say it needs to be genuine at least three times before it isn't yeah because the whole, no, we're not going to let you switch sides because you will inevitably betray us, is just as old. It's, it's another obstinate barrier. Yeah. We're kind of talking about this in a military context. This can easily be an opposing group of Shadowrunners or the ogres who are guarding the dungeon you're going into. Whatever it is, it doesn't really matter. Just as long as we understand we're talking about things that can make decisions and can have personality, fine. I mean, your standard animated skeleton or attack robot is not going to exhibit this behavior. But you're not going to even try and capture those, because that's right. basically an inanimate object that's trying to attack you. Exactly. There's no personality there. Although if there suddenly turns out to be, that could be interesting. Oh, sure. Too, but that's a whole different podcast. Different episode, yeah. Yeah. And I want to stress, too, that in most cases, the reverse applies when PCs are surrendering. Most of these still apply. Before we get to that, I'd like to address large-scale surrender. So this is kind of, the war is over, and one of the sides has won, and the other side has issued a formal declaration of surrender. You know, right. The, the armistice has happened. You know, this is, this is the end of this conflict. Now what? Last episode, our bonus episode, I was talking about the Blue Devils in Italy, history of the 88th yeah. Infantry Division. This actually comes up. The 88th was involved in occupation in northern Italy. There are pictures in that book of something like 100,000 German prisoners of war camped out next to an airfield. It's a massive number of POWs. This is the German army that has surrendered. What do we do with them? Yeah. It, there's a huge complicated problem there, filtering out people who may have committed war crimes, people who have intelligence, commanders versus your average conscript. Getting their weapons away from them turns out to be a multi-stage process of finding all the weapons and then finding all the weapons they concealed, and then finding the weapons that people managed to conceal after that sweep, and so on and so forth. Soldiers who say, I know you're still fighting a war on this other front. Can I join you there? And, you know, usually the answer is, no, we can't trust you. But in certain, you know, fantasy, sci-fi, unrealistic settings, hey, maybe so. 
There's yeah. all sorts of stuff that happens there. And of course, where do they go? When do you send them home? Who do we ransom back? Who just gets to go free? How do they get home? Who maybe gets hung on to for war crimes or something like that? Right. Further questioning, so on and so forth. Are there people who you want to really work to switch, like, say, German rocket scientists after World War II? Things like yeah. that. Well, there was a speaking of World War II, there was a really interesting scene towards the end of Band of Brothers where one of the guys from you know, the American units that that series follows is standing there at the end of the war directing traffic with a German soldier that happened to speak English. And they're talking about like the various theaters that they were in and that sort of thing. And they're, they're kind of becoming friends, even mm -hmm. though that, you know, a few months ago, these forces were fighting each other. You know, they're just directing traffic. The, the war is over. They're not doing anything combative anymore. So when you have instances like that at the end of a war where the ground guys who this was never truly their fight to begin with, you know, it was, um, they got pulled in by some, you know, larger powers conflict. Once those people start exchanging stories, you can start peppering MacGuffins and story seeds and stuff into there because the people who were on the other side saw different things, experienced different things. Maybe he saw something that he couldn't explain. Maybe she knows of a treasure someplace. You know, maybe this small group of enemy soldiers has information about something that their side or your side did wrong that needs to be addressed and atoned for. You know, you can, right. you can drop a lot of story seeds in here when you start bringing in people who you couldn't have talked to earlier, but now you can. Well, it's a massive personnel problem. Yep. And it's displacement and a disruption of the previous order, and that's always a good time to put story in because things are happening. It's an interesting time. Yeah, skeletons will start coming out of the closets because the closets have probably been smashed. Well, the so. closets have been pried open and looked into by the other side at this point, yes. Yep. Let's move on to PCs, because this is actually taking longer than I expected. There's more here than I thought. Yeah, considerably. That or I'm just going on because I'm sick, hard to say. Well, I'm going on a little bit, too, and I'm not sick, so what's my excuse? Yeah. But the last one, and I think one that really needs to be addressed, is um, traditional problems with surrendering PCs. Yeah. Because now, let me say one thing first. Okay. I think in order for your player characters to even consider surrendering, your players have to know that the story does not stop if that happens. Yeah. There's actually, there's a, there's a little sidebar from... Um, a GURPS Traveler book that I would like to read just a little bit of here. Do it. It's actually an entire sidebar, and I'm just going to take it down to the last couple of sentences. It says, The moral is, mercs will surrender when there's nothing to be gained by fighting. If you make it so there's nothing to be gained by surrender, they'll fight to the last. And like I say, you do not want this to happen. Yeah, and some of that is because fantasy gaming tends to have these moral absolute and monstrous enemies who... Oh, they're vicious and horrible, and they'll murder you if they ever get a chance. You know, that yeah, sort of thing. Yeah, they'll eat you, or, you know, they'll just slit your throats and dump your body in a ditch, or something, you know, equally awful and story-ending. And you've got to, you have got to set it up so that if the PCs are going to even countenance the idea of surrender, there there has to be some way for them to have a story beyond that. Because right. if that's just a TPK and different skin, of course they're going to keep fighting. Yeah. You know what's a really good example of this? Hmm. When the dwarves, Gandalf and Bilbo, get captured by goblins in The Hobbit. Okay. 
all of a sudden it's a it's a problem, right? And in this case, they get captured and surprised, right? But you could very easily see this as, hey, they get defeated and they give up. The goblins don't just kill them there. They right. take them down into the, you know, the dark to kind of mock them and do this other stuff. And Gandalf does a thing to turn it into a, a new situation that dwarves and the Hobbit can handle from that point forward. It's not, all right, they surrender and they get captured and that's the end. It's, okay, let's use this as an opportunity to see some about the goblins and go explore someplace you wouldn't normally go to. And you'll have your chance to, you know, have your story continue from inside there. It's a detour, not a stop. Yeah, and I think I think you also hit on something else that I'd like to call out specifically is they heard and saw things while they were in captivity that they wouldn't have just running around free. Right. Sometimes you can only get the information that you need by having the enemy think that you're no longer a threat and getting a little careless talking around you. Right. And in fact, you know, they get a chance to show off and be cool and kill a goblin king. Who doesn't like yep. that? You know, they would never have done that if not for that initial surrender. I had a uh, player character get captured in that same fantasy game mm-hmm. that I was talking about. I actually had the guy get captured because he'd kind of been dominating the story a little bit, and I wanted to give the other players a chance to rescue him and kind of shine. Uh-huh. But while he was in there, he kind of he took this as, as kind of a challenge, and he got some unique information that they wouldn't have gotten otherwise out of the people there by kind of doing the whole challenge the alpha thing and... It was it was pretty neat, actually. Yeah, uh, there were some some good set pieces. The other player characters got to have their moments of awesome by rescuing the guy that was traditionally kind of the party doc savage, basically. And it was it was really cool all around. So, yeah, you know, there's another instance of this that we have really talked about repeatedly, maybe not in this show, but in our gaming group. What's that? Crossing the border. Oh, yeah. Oh, the obstruction. Okay. Well, okay, but here's the thing. What happened in that scenario? We the were, story uh, stopped. <laughs> well, well, it did, but the retcon of it put it into the correct framework, basically. Yeah. Um. Basically, we were trying to slip across a border in a Shadowrun game, and due to GMing that was a very different style than ours, let's say, it was a very nitpicky kind of border crossing, and this NPC made two secret rolls, and now everybody's in trouble. It was not handled as well as I would have liked. Let's just say that. Yeah. Not that the GM did not try, but no, there was there was definitely this was definitely not a case of somebody being a jerk. It was just I think one of those things where this person probably got some results that they weren't expecting and had to kind of punt. Yeah, and I think also it was a, I made these rolls and that's what happened, rather than a focus on the story. Which, right. you know, different style of gaming. Not the yeah. style we recommend, but... It's a style that a lot of groups do use, so... Exactly. But, the retcon <laughs> that we had at the, <laughs> you know, between sessions was, okay, rather than you guys getting captured and all your stuff taken away, and, you know, you guys now being poor Shadowrunners without all the gear you paid for during character creation, because this was literally the first thing we were trying to do, or second thing, I think, it was, okay, they kind of impound your stuff for a little bit and then uh, send you back across the border the way you came. Cool. That's it. That's all you need. Yeah. Hey, you failed. You got captured for a little while and held. They didn't find out anything about you. So they let you go with a, a warning, maybe a little, you know, a black eye here and there. And uh, if we see you again, you're really going to be in trouble. We got your IDs now. Don't come back this way. All right. Well, that failed, but there's a whole rest of a border we can cross. 
Yeah. You know, maybe this one isn't a major highway, but okay, cool. So it's okay to let failure have consequences, but in cases like that, it went from effectively a TPK to, all right, something happened, find a different way. And I think that's fine. It was something else that we had to figure out and deal with. Dan, it's okay to have some of those things come up, especially if when you go to do the second thing, interesting stuff happens during that process. You don't want it to just be reduced to another die roll unless, I guess, you're really in a hurry and the the cool stuff is past the obstacle. Well, you know, I was talking about this 3-5 game where I really power gamed the heck out of that game, right? The the mind controller guy? Yeah, yeah. The reason that that game was so munchkiny was that there was a real problem in that game where if we did not succeed at our die rolls, the story did not move forward. The only thing that moved the story forward was success. Failure never moved the story forward. Failure can be just as interesting. Capture can be interesting. Losing a fight and being forced to run away, giving up the field, can be interesting. Not stopping the bad guy can be interesting. It doesn't stop the story, it just is a downbeat in the story. Fine. But what happened in this game was that I had to power game so much because if we didn't succeed at every single step, the story stopped. It's the video game problem. It's the video game problem. And A, that made it kind of boring, because we either succeeded the whole way through, or the GM had to come up with some way in which we succeeded, or it didn't... It didn't flow right. There was no drama in the story, is really what it comes down to. And in a case like this, if the players say, well, we lost, let's give up, that's probably a downbeat in the story but that's not the stop that's not where the story stops that's not you failed you lose it's you failed let's see what happens from here well and isn't that sort of thing kind of what whole certain whole games are built around i mean that sounds a little bit like fiasco from oh, yeah. what you've described it as this didn't go according to plan now we have a coen brothers movie exactly that's what fiasco is it's things going wrong and okay is this going to be good for my character or bad for my character Or, all right, you set up the scenario, and then you guys tell me whether this is going to be good or bad, and we'll play that out. Microscope has the same thing. This, you know, this scene is light or dark, right? It's a rise or a fall. Both are perfectly valid. And if you insist that every scene that the players are in be successful, or they are punished for it, and they, you know, the game stops and they lose the game, there's no drama, no tension, and no interest. Let me let me use one other kind of example of this from since we're we're coming off the holidays and this movie takes place during them and therefore it's in the front of my mind. In Die Hard. Yep. John McClane spends the first what, about three quarters of the movie losing like crazy? And um, he gets trapped with very little resources. He's you know, he's forced to kinda run for his life he's um he gets his feet all torn up by one of the hazards that's thrown in his path he gets into a couple of fights that he can't strictly win i would say he doesn't lose i would say he wins expensively that's probably a better way of putting it yeah he's certainly set back a lot yeah he suffers setbacks it is definitely not a a bronson movie where he's just you know i'm cool and there's nothing you can do about it yeah it's not it's not taken where He's just a force of nature, just sweeping everything aside. Right. He suffers consequences for his actions, and 
doesn't always succeed in what he tries to do. It's fun. Which is one of the reasons why people still look at Die Hard as a fantastic movie, what, about 30 years after it released? Yeah, and ironically, we're recording this the day, you know, we all heard the news that Alan Rickman passed away, who, yep. of course, played, played Hans Gruber. Hans Gruber, and exceptionally well. Wonderful, yep. wonderful villain in that movie. It's that same process. And there are other movies, I think, that do that fairly well. Um, Sunshine comes to mind. A good sci-fi Never seen that. that. Um good sci-fi movie where things go wrong and they have to make hard choices and lose a lot in order to eventually do what they're trying to do. Okay. I don't want to spoil it beyond that, but it's pretty good. Um, yeah. All right. Do we have anything else on Surrender? I don't think so. I think we've mined this one pretty deep here. Yeah. Um, we could really also get into the whole PCs planning to surrender, be captured, that kind of thing, but that's kind of outside the... Yeah, that's more of a feint. Well, it's it's not the problem that we're trying to address here. Right. In that case, it's, hey, GM, this is where the story's going. Oh, cool, we'll make that happen. Not, all right, spur of the moment, this is what we're doing. Can it please work? Yeah. So, yeah. All right, well, this turned out to be better than I expected, honestly, because I was, we're kind of winging it a little bit tonight because I am sick and the topic we had turned out to be huge and horrible and, frankly, kind of intimidating. <laughs> well, we'll get to it eventually. We'll... Maybe we'll even remember to let you know what it is when we do. Yeah, so. exactly. But uh, this turned out pretty good. If you've got your yeah. own stories about this, let us know. Share them out. One thing I do want to mention real quick. I got a, a really cool email that I will probably try and read and comment on next episode from Chris over at the Gameable Pixar podcast. You may remember that we did a crossover episode with them a little while back. And we've had Katrina from Gameable Disney on for a previous episode on Prophecy. And he had a, a interesting thing to say and kind of a, a thing to comment on about Manichaeism relating to our Historical Heresy series. Oh, if you cool. have email for us on the show, don't hesitate to send that to hosts at stgcast.org. Uh, that'll send it to both of us. You know, we're not necessarily going to turn this into a listener mailbag kind of thing, but if you've got things that you want to comment on, Please do so. We love hearing from you guys. It's great. It encourages us, certainly. Yeah, immensely. And it's nice to hear people engaging, even if it's not in comments on episodes or Twitter or Facebook, that kind of thing. Just, I heard this and thought about this, or this is a thing that you might be interested in. We love to hear that sort of stuff. It's great. The other thing that I will throw out there is if we get enough email, we might consider doing a mailbag episode here and there. So Yeah, absolutely. There's no reason we couldn't. We don't do mailbag episodes because we don't get email. That's really yeah, what it comes it's, down it's to. A, it's a question of volume at this point. So if you want us to do those, sit down and start composing. <laughs> yeah, please, please write content for our show. Wait, um, did I say yeah, that out loud? Yes, yeah, no, you've got it right. Okay, yeah. But <laughs> Shamelessly no, I, beg the listeners for content. Yeah, right? mailbag episodes are never a bad thing. Those are fun. <laughs> no. Yeah, I enjoy them on all the podcasts that I listen to where they do them. So yeah. obviously, you know, if somebody writes, I don't know, some horrible screed or something, we probably won't read that. We're not committing to reading every email, but no, I honestly have zero concerns that our listeners are going to send us horrible emails. I've talked yeah. to a lot of you guys. I've met you at cons. You're all basically literally awesome. 100% of my inter direct interactions with our listeners have been positive. Yeah, I think mine as well. <laughs> there you go. All right. I'm going to call it here because my voice is about to give out, but we will catch you next time with, oh man, I don't even know what, something exciting, I hope. And uh, yeah, take it easy, folks. Have a good one. 
This podcast episode is a production of Saving the Game and may be redistributed under a Creative Commons non-commercial, non-derivative license so long as appropriate credit is given. Our music is by Ryan Humphrey. Saving the Game is syndicated through inroadsministries.com, rpgpodcasts.com, stitcher.com, and iTunes. To hear past episodes and to connect with us or our community of listeners, visit our website at savingthegamepodcast.org. God bless and happy gaming.